All right, welcome to Potso One. This is another episode because I don't know what number we're on right now. I think it's going to be seven-ish, maybe. We, anyway, we got my good buddy uh, Gene Burke here. Gene and I have known each other for a long, long time. time. Yeah, long time. It's been a while. I would describe uh, our time together as me following Gene to various uh, <laughs> places of employment. Uh, Gene would maybe describe that differently. But anyway, we're happy to have you here in uh, my basement. Here with Daniel and me. Daniel will sit back and ask really thought-provoking questions. Got it. I will just say words, and we'll see how it goes. Okay. That's so an cool. honor to be here in the uh, palatial Gilman estate. Yes, so nice. thank perfect. You. Yes. Palatial. It, it actually, uh, in Webster's, technically qualifies as a palace. I think it does. Yeah, that's I right. I think it does. It's got a urinal, too. It does have a urinal, which is what took it over the top, actually. Right. That, that puts it into that status. All right, so, Gene, tell us uh, why you chose to go to the Naval Academy, because it's not a choice I would have made. Sure. So uh, I think it all started when I was mowing the lawn for uh, for $5 at Mrs. Japowski's house. And uh, so I'm sitting there and it's about 110 degrees out and I'm going up and down thinking, God, this is no good. And it popped in my head, man, it'd be cool to be a pilot. Just popped in your yeah, head? Yeah, I was, I was, I think, a junior in high school, sophomore in high school. Okay. So I started thinking about that. Like I didn't, it's probably the first time in my life I'd ever thought about it. And I thought, yeah, you know what? That sounds like fun. And so I told my, uh, my dad that I was going to go, uh, I wanted to join the Air Force, go to the Air Force Academy. And my dad said, well, why would you do that? Because my dad was a Navy man. And he said, the Navy has better pilots. So he kind of worked on me for the next, uh, I don't know, next year or so. And uh, he, he won me over. And uh, that's what made me want to go there. So you're the youngest of five. I am. The, the older four didn't join. Uh, my the Tom, the next brother up, he is a Navy vet as well. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. He was an NFO and EA-6Bs. What did your uh, dad do? He was a ship guy. He okay. was in the USS San Marcos at the end of World War II. He uh, uh, did a bunch of the nuclear testing out at the Bikini Atoll. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Fun stuff. And there's no way he was going to let a kid of his join any other service than the Navy. I think, yeah. You know, he had a good, subtle way about him. And plus, he had a couple of years to work on me. So, it, it worked out. Subtle's usually good. Especially if you're it, playing it, the long game. It certainly works for him. Yeah. Hey, so, uh, I, I meant to ask you at the beginning, how are you doing today? I've never been better. All right, perfect. All right. That's, we got that out of the way. <laughs> got that out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we did. All right, so... You're a baseball guy. Daniel doesn't know anything about baseball. We don't. Do have you to... really not know anything about baseball? I know some about baseball. Well, well, okay. Well, well, tell us what you know, and then we'll we'll go from there. All right. Uh, four bases. All right. Um, nine innings. Two teams take turns batting slash fielding. Um, whoever gets to the end of the ninth inning with more runs wins. That's good enough. Yeah, that, that's a pretty hey, good understanding. Yeah, pitchers. Know. They're like different uh, positions to play. Uh, then there's a batting lineup. There's like a specific order. And then you have these things called pinch hitters. I, I Googled this. I should have saved wow. this question. Oh, why did you Google? I know. I didn't know what a pinch hitter was. So I looked it up and it's a uh, uh, somebody that they like swap out in the batting lineup, right? All right. Yeah, okay, great. so All right. it's nice. Here's my question. Um, <laughs> my, because, wait, right, context. You're prepped. So, Gene, you played uh, baseball, right? I did. Among other things. As a kid, did you play at Annapolis too? I uh, was recruited to play baseball at Navy, and uh, after my freshman year, they realized that wasn't a Division I caliber player, so then it was intramural for me. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Man, that's too bad. He was was on the line. Yeah. You were on the bubble. Okay. I I spent a year in the bullpen. Okay. Which, you know, I'm told that's a fun time. It was fun. Um, So, when I watch baseball... uh, It's great, isn't it? 
<laughs> I, I like going to real live games more than I wa- like watching yes. on TV. But yes. um, one thing I noticed is that everybody on the field has like such a stoic uh, look and, and demeanor to the extent that they almost look bored. <laughs> Like it could be yeah, because they yeah, are. Yeah, it could very well be. <laughs> and but I know that well. I know that baseball is a really complicated game, with you know there are a lot of moving parts and a lot of things can happen at any given time. That's true. So there's a lot to anticipate and be ready for. True and enough. to be thinking about. Um, so, but it's some serious buildup here. It, it seems question. like yeah, that's gonna be a good one. <laughs> well, it seems like there's this culture of like, you better be like ready at all times to for anything to happen and to anticipate what, what might happen. But at the same time, you need to like look like, you know, Mr. Cool. Sure. In the middle of a lecture that they don't care about chewing gum. Like, so, so am I just crazy or is there this like kind of culture of, of trying to look stoic in the midst of all this uncertainty? Um, so great question. I think uh, the reality of it is that a lot of times they are bored. Like, you know, if you haven't ever like found your mind wandering, you played ball a lot. Sure. Do you ever yeah. find your mind wandering a, a lot? Own? Yeah. But I always worried that if I screwed up because my mind was wandering, I would be in trouble from the other guys on the team. Right. Sure. Yeah. Agreed. So um, that's why I pitched because you don't have as much time to have your mind wander. So it was. It was. You were a pitcher. It, I was. But uh, just to kind of give you an illustration of why you have to be uh, on your on your toes, um, when I was a senior in high school. You know this story. Don't I do. You? Yes. Um, so um, it's it's just batting practice, and so I was uh, f- at third base, hanging out, talking to the guy at shortstop, supposed to be paying attention and wasn't, and heard the crack of the bat and turned my head just. To, I guess nobody can see me as I'm looking around, but just in time to see a ball come up right toward my face, get the glove up almost high enough, and it hit my forehead. In the, uh, on a line, and the guy out in left field caught it in the air. <laughs> and so that's about a hundred and it's probably about hundred and ten miles an hour. Unfortunately, it hit me right in the right in the middle of the forehead, and I went down like I'd been shot, you know. And and so the really, I don't. The only thing I remember is waking up and seeing the whole team looking at me. So so it knocked you out cold. Cold, absolutely. How far do you think the bar? Uh, ball traveled after it hit you in the knocking. I mean, the left fielder was in normal left field position. Yeah, I mean, that's not close. Yeah. And yeah. I'm glad he didn't run right in. He caught it for the out, right? which is kind of cool. When you play, are you – do the people shorter, closer to the actual uh, batter wear helmets? No, no, no. Okay. So, like, that kind of <laughs> – It's organic. This is awesome. Yes, ma'am. This is – this There's a disaster at the Gilman Estate right now. <laughs> yeah. You're you're actually hearing it real time. That's oh, wonderful. Oh man, that's great. So like the batter obviously wears a helmet because he if does. The ball hits their head. It can hurt. But um, for people like you who are just like it's still close to the pitter, yeah. batter, but still like inattentive, it's just a risk of the game. Yep, absolutely. So you were a pitcher, but you were hanging out at third base. Yeah, because uh, yeah, it was just a practice. Everybody's kind of hanging out. So I wasn't pitching at that time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So another question is, uh, like, there's a lot that can happen in between plays in baseball. Yes. And I'm not sure when it's appropriate to, like, make play. Like, stealing bases is the right. big one that I think about. Sure. How do people know when it's okay to steal and when not to? Um, you can do. You can steal almost any time you want. 
It's just a matter of doing it at a time that somebody's not going to realize what you're doing and throw you out. Okay. So if the pitcher's standing on the pitcher's mound with the ball, you can run if you want, but they're going to get you out. Because it's an easy throw for them. It's a long run for you. Right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, you just, really did do some homework, didn't you? I did. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I Thank wanted you. to make sure. Um, because I, well, well, what was your sport when I was a kid? Because you you grew up all over the world, right? Yes, you're turning it around on me. I right am now. absolutely. <laughs> uh, I played when I was in high school. I I would alternate uh, cross country, swimming. Okay, swimming was probably the main one. Okay, and then uh, water polo. Distance. What was your swim, what was your event in swimming? Um, I did a lot of backstroke. Okay, so fifty. 100 200 and then i also did uh the im like they got a lot of like uh swimming pools in egypt so they got enough i mean okay. my high school had one okay and it was outdoors um so you know sometimes it would get sandy but <laughs> that's just part of the yeah yeah all the sand just kind of collects at the bottom of the pool and it's fine <laughs> um, okay so yeah but uh oh, man what was i gonna i was thinking about something baseball related oh dude one thing about growing up internationally. Hey, how, we moved on to water polo, by the way. Sweet. Yeah. How's it going, Paul? I love it. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Plumber had to reschedule. My okay. wife thought we weren't recording until 6.30. It's all good. Ah. Oh, okay. We'll get her down. We'll put on our mic. It'll be great. We're good. Um, so international kids and international people in general, um, I think, come like look at America and they see baseball and they're like, I don't get it. Yeah. They're like, this is uh, a ridiculous It's boring. Sport. So yeah. yeah, and I was right. I'm definitely like part of that crowd. Yep. And uh, I wanted to make sure because I know that it's, you know, it's America's game, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, the best thing about watching a baseball game is you can carry on a conversation with everybody around you, and you can have a beer and a hot dog and not miss a thing. Like unlike a lot of sports, like you go to a hockey game and you have to be riveted to what's going on on mm-hmm. the ice. Mm-hmm. Baseball, you can catch all the action, and and still carry on a conversation with everybody else. Yeah. So it's beautiful and it's boringness. But it's very social to your point. Absolutely. It's a social game. Yeah. How how did we pivot to uh, water polo? I tried to turn it around on him. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Gene was like, what about you? Uh, I played water polo for like two years in high school. That's a tough sport. Because I had a swimming background. Yeah. uh, I wasn't super good at it. I I think you got to be kind of big, and I wasn't, so... Um, and you also kind of have to be a killer. By, right. bi- by big, do you mean fat? No, just like buoyant. <laughs> That's what I should go for. Yeah, <laughs> sort of like sort of like you, Paul. <laughs> big boned, right? Big right. boned. Yeah. I think being. Have you seen like Olympic water polo players? Yeah, it looks really yeah. hard. They're they, not small dudes. Yeah. yeah, and they they knock each other around a They're lot. They're killers. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a lot that goes on under the water, and it's kind of a deceptive game. Like you have to. Part of the game is to like fake being fouled consistently. So it's like um, soccer, soccer yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. A little less dramatic than soccer, but yeah, in a similar way. Right. And the ref can't see under the water, so a lot of the time the fakes work if you're good at it. Okay, sure. So, yeah, it was, it was a fun sport, though. Yeah. Are you ready for an awkward transition? Yeah, sure. Paul's great at Let's, these. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's all I do is awkwardly transition. <laughs> There's no segueing in that game. Uh, let's talk about your childhood. What was it like growing up in sure. uh, Northeast PA? Yeah, it was awesome. Mountaintop Pennsylvania. So uh, Population? Well, I guess when I grew up, it was probably about uh, maybe a 1,000 spread out over a, a pretty wide area. There yeah. are a couple of developments and a lot of farms. 
So, what did people do for a living there? Uh, they mostly went to Wilkesbury to work, or they mm-hmm. ran a farm. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty, pretty uh, laid back sort of a place. And well, Wilkesbury is old coal mining town. Um, claim well, there's I don't know if there's any claims to fame for Wilkesbury, but claim to fame is. Uh, uh, used to be there was a mine fire that burned from about the 1920s until I think it went out maybe early 2000s. What? So, uh, yeah, up on the side of the mountain near Wilkesbury, like we called it the Smoky Mountain for an obvious Could, reason. Just literally, smoky. it was smoking, and uh, yeah, it, it it caught on fire um, in sometime in the early 20s, and uh, it just smoldered for 80 or 90 years. They just never put it out was there a way to put it out easily uh, no i mean that was the problem yeah. it's like the cost of putting it out was just not worth the effort that's crazy so what, yeah. did, you, what did you do for fun as a kid like when you're eight nine ten sure so uh family lived in in a uh, we had a lot of woods behind the house so there was a lot of time with uh, friends out in the woods and uh you know things time times were different back then like parents had no qualms about kids going out for long long periods of time and there was, there was no way to find you, right? Eventually, they might make their way back. <laughs> right. And right. so, you know, as the fifth kid, my parents were used to that stuff. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was your typical, typical fun type youth thing uh, in the days before computers and television. So, uh, all right, quick story. Um, we live not far from the church, St. Jude's Church. And one year... There was some building project at St. Jude's, and they built a big pit. They were like they're getting uh, topsoil, and there's a giant pit there. And <clears throat> then they started throwing whatever refuse was around, like uh, yeah, like old barrels and stuff, would end up in the pit. And that was great for a kid. So there was a summer where that pit was was just filled with junk here and there, and we made a fort in the bottom of the pit. And the idea was that kids would ring the outside of the pit with rocks and one guy would be in the fort in the middle <laughs> and when you said go the guy in the fort had to get out of the fort and up to the uh, up the, this really steep side of this the sides of the thing while the kids rained dirt clods and rocks down on them and uh that's jail time in 2020 <laughs> right 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 no, i mean there was just it was good fun right? yeah. And, and uh yeah yeah so that's kind of what we did. Yeah, I, so I, you and I are about the same age. I uh, I distinctly remember uh, just my, my best friend and I, we were like 11, 12 years old along the railroad tracks, and there's a lot of uh, gravel right. al- along the tracks, and we just decided to go about 100 feet away from each other and throw rocks at each other. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the game ended when I hit him on top of the head right. with the rock. Somebody's going to get hurt, <laughs> right. and it's over. Right, right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's oh, good times. Man. Yeah. So yeah. what, what was it like to be the fifth kid? Oh, it was great. I mean, it's, you know, uh, well, so my, uh, uh, my older two brothers, well, my oldest brother in particular was somewhat challenging as a kid growing up. Uh, now having had some teenagers myself, I kind of understand. And uh, so the bad part about that for me was that my parents knew what I was thinking about doing before I, I even ever thought about it. Like that, like everything that I could possibly do that was not good, they had already seen it. Mm, so yeah. uh, they kind of they kind of knew how to handle a kid by the time I came around. Uh, but at the same time, I was the youngest and I was the last, so they kind of knew that. And so uh, I, I probably got away with some stuff that others didn't. Yeah, nice. Yeah. 
What about you? What about me? Yeah, your your youth. Uh, Have you talked about your youth on these podcasts? <laughs> Dude, Gene's turning it around. Uh, we haven't recorded episode zero yet. No, we haven't. Uh, okay. Uh, so, right. that, yeah, that's where I'll probably talk too much about things. Yeah. Well, why don't you talk some now? My, that's fine. My, my youth, a uh, bunch of kids in the neighborhood. We would leave at whatever time in the morning, come back around dinner time. There were uh, bells, like farmhouse yeah. bells. That you would hear ringing in the neighborhoods, and that meant, and you could tell the difference between like the Gilman Bell versus the Smith Bell, <laughs> and I knew it when it was time to come home. And right. Without that bell, I, I probably would have stayed out a lot later. Right. Okay. Actually, but yeah, we would play basketball. Wiffle ball was right. A, oh a yeah, ton of fun back yep. in the day. Do you know what wiffle ball is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. It's baseball with a plastic bat and a plastic ball, and you can throw really curvy pitches. With much them. curvier than you can with a regular baseball. Right. At least yeah. mere mortals like me could throw That's much right. better curveballs mm. for sure. Yeah, lots of sports, lots yeah. of outside time, no screen time because screens, they did exist, but it was a three or four channel TV right. kind of thing. Right, you got to get up to turn the channel. And you were, and, and as the kid, you were the remote control most of the time, and so I, that didn't seem like a thing I wanted to do a lot. Yeah. Of. So yeah, I was you just guys had out to in, about, yeah. invent your own fun a lot more. Yeah, yeah, we, I think that's right. Yeah. As opposed to being like, here's a video game system that will. You're going back to the rock throwing thing that right, we both right, talked right. about. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I yeah. mean, it's yeah. dumb, but it's like you're yeah. at least engaging in, a, in the creative process. It no, made, it was creative. It, it may, maybe put <laughs> maybe putting Billy's eye out. But right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, I mean, you had kids walking around with one eye. And, yeah, that's, that's the way it was. It's <laughs> uh, good times. All right, so you were in the Navy active duty for a while. Yeah, active right. duty for nine years. And you, uh, you were a pilot. I was. The, uh, I think you were telling us the Sea Dragon. Yep, MH-53 Sea Dragon. Largest helicopter in the Navy. It was. Was it bigger than the Army's largest? It is a little bigger. It's 99 feet, 0.5 inches long. And, and, but you, <laughs> how big's the Army helicopter? I don't know. Like 98.5 probably, or something? Probably, yeah. probably 99 feet, 0 inches long. It's, it's a giant helicopter, and it yes. has only one, one, big, ro- one, one rotor. Big, yep, 79-foot rotor diameter. All right, so you, you've told me a few of these stories, but tell us uh, the most scared you've ever been and what, what the story surrounding that was. That's an intense question. Yeah, he's, he's answered this question a million times. Yeah. I, I actually probably have a different story depending on the day. Yeah, it's all There's, good. Yeah, okay. we, we probably want to hear uh, most of them. Okay. All right. Well, so uh, I'll actually I'll do my headliner, which you've probably heard a hundred times. It's all uh, good. So um, this actually was, I, I had I had been flying for probably 20 years, and uh, uh, it was... Uh, November of 2004 and a nice beautiful Sunday afternoon in Norfolk and myself and a guy I had flown with forever a guy named Mickey McColl were scheduled to do an airborne mine sweeping flight out in the Chesapeake Bay which obviously there's no mines floating around in the Chesapeake Bay but this was this is practice you drop the helicopter I flew was a among other things big helicopter it dragged stuff behind it to blow up mines in the water uh, so you practice that stuff. So Mickey and I and, and five air crewmen were heading out to do a mine sweeping mission in the in the Chesapeake Bay. And uh, so every aircraft in the military has what they call an aircraft discrepancy book. I assume they still have those things. Probably. They're probably all online now. But at that time, it was a book. And the H-53 was sort of notorious for breaking a lot. There's lots of moving parts. A lot so, going on in a big yeah, helicopter. So stuff breaks all the time. Um and so the aircraft discrepancy books were probably, you know, six inches thick of stuff that had happened. And, and uh, uh, the way it worked was that the, the last 10 flights would have everything that happened to the aircraft. And then below that was all of the 
things that were wrong with it that they just haven't fixed. And they're, they're all little things that here and there, minor stuff. So I'm reading the book, and about every second flight, there's this discrepancy that says, aircraft shudders violently. <laughs> and it, it's kind of weird, like you don't see that. And then it, maintenance that signed it off could not duplicate discrepancy. <laughs> and they just kept putting it back on the flight schedule. And every couple of, couple of flights, it would get written up for this. So... Like that's kind of weird, but you know, kind of got through the end. I signed for the aircraft, and before we went flying, I actually found the guy who had had had, had that happen to him, and I asked him like, "Hey, what's going on with five five one? Like, what's 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 going on?" He goes, "Yeah, it's wild, man. Like, just flying along, all of a sudden you just start shaking, and then it goes away and it doesn't come back." It's like, okay, that sounds good, and so. uh Mickey and I go fly. We go take off, and as soon as we lifted off the helo pad it shook like just shaking around like crazy and then sure sure enough just like it was written up it smoothed out everything was fine so we looked at each other and we're like i guess that's it let's go and off we went uh, it was supposed to be about a two-hour flight and we get out to the mine the simulated minefield and we drop the equipment out the back and we're dragging it over the water when you're doing this you're you're about 75 to 100 feet off the water going about i don't know 15 20 miles an hour so as we're going, every half an hour or so, it would do this thing. It would shake around a little bit. And uh, it did that probably three times. And after the third time, uh, it came back again within about, I don't know, 20 seconds. It did it again, and it was a little bit more violent. So we looked at each other like, yeah, that's probably enough. Let's, let's recover the equipment and go home. And no sooner had I said that than it came back, and it didn't go away. And the uh, the aircraft was shaking so bad that you couldn't read any of the instruments in the cockpit. We were bouncing, shaking, and there is this god-awful grinding noise over our head where the rotor is going. <laughs> so, um, you know, we figured we were going in the water. And so uh, I lowered, lowered the collective, started coming down toward the water, thinking we're probably going to need to ditch. And as I'm going down, I'm thinking, man, it's the middle of November, it's about 40 degrees outside. The water is really cold. This is really, really not going to be good. And um, Mickey gets a mayday off, but we're 75 feet off the water, so nobody's going to hear that. And so it looks like it's going to be a long, a long day in the water if we can get out. And so I get about 15 feet off the water and pulled in a little power just to see if it was flyable and the aircraft's flyable. So we're like, well, let's see if we can get it in the shore. And so we head in toward the eastern shore of Maryland, and it's bouncing and shaking, and we're going as slow as possible so that if it really started coming apart, we could ditch it in the water. And, uh, man, that eastern shore is, it probably started about two miles, three miles away, and it took forever to get there. And How fa fast were you going? Probably 20 to 30 miles an hour. But you felt like you were about going About the speed limit in your neighborhood. Right. Yeah, about yeah. how fast S we were going. Super yeah. slow. Yeah. And... Uh, um, so finally up ahead of us, there's the, it's the Eastern shore looms ahead of us. And lo and behold, it's a beautiful golf course right on the, right on the water. I like, love, I love this story. It's like perfect. That's a perfect spot. Like you can't, you can't ask for a better spot to land. So we, uh, it, we landed right in the middle of the fairway, about, I don't know, 50 yards short of the green. And we laid it up short of the green and landed and shut the aircraft down. And we're like, Oh God, thank God we're, we're alive. And, um, so we shut everything down, and, and the air crewmen were putting these big drip pans under the helicopter because it 
leaks stuff all the time. So you have to, you don't want to kill the grass on this guy's, this guy's golf course. And uh, we're doing all that. And this dude drives down the golf court, the uh, golf uh, path, car path on, in a, uh, a Ford Expedition. And, and we were looking around, there's like nobody on this golf course. It's a beautiful day on a Sunday afternoon. And this guy stops and he runs out and he goes, hey, what's going on? I said, we explained what was happening. He goes, well, I'm the owner of this golf course, he said. And, and uh, you know, it, it's people like you that allow people like me to have places like this, he says. <laughs> and, uh, and so I said, ah, that's great. Okay, so he goes, listen, when you guys get all squared away, here's my phone number. Give me a call. I'll have some of my people help you out. So and he drives away. And so we get everything all tied down and go to call the guy. And it's the eastern shore of Maryland, like north of Cape Charles. There's no cell phone signal. So we figure, okay, we see a golf course community off in the distance. We'll just walk to one of those houses and call the guy. So we start walking. And it's a beautiful day, beautiful Sunday afternoon. There's not a soul on this golf course. It's like there should be people playing all (laughs) over the place. And so we're walking, and Mickey looks at me. he He goes, hey, maybe we didn't make it. Maybe we're dead. (laughs) I said, yeah, yeah, it could could really be. We're walking, 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 and we get to the golf course community. There's nobody in sight. And I look up at the road sign, and it says, My Blue Heaven Road. And I'm like, Mickey, look at this. I guess pick out a house, man. I guess we're moving in. And then, and then we found somebody, and it turns out we weren't dead. Or maybe we're, I don't know. Maybe you're Maybe this is heaven. Maybe we're all dead. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a good story, right? Yeah. You didn't see that coming at all, did you? No. None, none of it. You were, yeah. I thought you guys were going to go down. Wait, but you were worried about the temperature of the water. Were you worried about dying? Like oh, absolutely. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it's a uh, kind of a crapshoot if you end up in the water in a helicopter. Getting out is kind of a crapshoot. You train for it, but you train in a pool and it's a simulator. So mm. you never really know what's going to happen. So, yeah, you really don't want to be in the water. Okay. And, and like, in terms of ejecting before it goes down yeah there's no ejecting in a helicopter you can't go up right (laughs) right yes yeah you're along for the ride it helps you it helps to be good at what you do did you want to do a helicopter instead of uh like a plane yeah great question so i think when i was in flight school um what i initially wanted to fly was a fixed wing um sub hunter a p3 and um when I selected, so in Navy flight training, I think it's different in the Army. In the Navy flight training, you'll learn, you get about 120 hours on a, a T-34 fixed-wing turbo, turboprop aircraft. It's a really fun, fun thing to fly. Um, so you, get, you start out on fixed-wing, and then after you get done with primary flight training, you select whether you want to fly uh, prop aircraft, helos, or jets. And by the time I got through primary flight training, I knew I didn't want to fly jets because that's another year and a half of flight school. And I was like, man, I just want to, I just want to be done with flight school. I still wanted to fly props. So that was my number one choice. Helos was number two and jets was number three. The week I selected, there were 16 guys who selected and uh, one guy got jets and 15 people got helicopters. Just the, the, what the need of the military was at that time. Mm. So, and then I think anybody who's a, who's a pilot will tell you, once you start flying what you're going to fly, it's the best thing ever. So it's just the way it is. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Is it difficult to become a pilot? Like, um, what kind of selection or screening or tests did, did they put you through before saying, okay, Gene, you can be a pilot? It's really pretty damn easy. So um, 
So you got to have good eyes. I, I think it's probably still this way. I don't know. I don't know if that's the way in the army either. No, you have to have good 20, eyes. 2020 20, oh, uncorrected. Yeah. yeah, so you have to have 2020 uncorrected vision. So that's the thing that bounces most people out mm-hmm. of it. Um, and then, uh, like the, it, it all depends on how many slots are available. There's, there's a lot of pilots out there. Um, so there's, but it depends on how many slots are available that week. The week I selected at the Naval Academy, the year I selected was, uh, anybody who wanted a pilot slot got one. Mm. So wasn't all that competitive. But I mean, getting into the Navy, Naval Academy at least is, but you're saying like if somebody wants to enlist and go for being a pilot, it. As long as the demand is there, it's not super difficult. Yeah, I think that's right. I've heard of these like tests. They're they're like these computer games where there's like a moving thing and you have to track it. And yeah, it's super quick and yeah. uh, like reaction based. Yeah, I've heard of those like being used to screen pilots before. Was there any of that? Uh, there is, but I mean, it's not that it's all that hard. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, they do bounce some guys out. But yeah, it's it's mo- yeah. There is physical stuff that that you'll get bounced out for for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gene's being somewhat humble, I imagine, I, with I'm, his answer. I'm thinking yeah. that too. So, you, but once you started flying the uh, helicopter, you were like, uh, and what'd you call it? A he- helo? A helo. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm just gonna keep saying helicopter. That's uh, fine. I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll go to you. I'll call it a helicopter too. <laughs> no 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 no. Are you uh, not worthy to say helo? I don't think so. I think he is. I think you, you can say helo. Yeah. It's fine. All right. Well, yeah. if I get Gene's blessing, yeah. you're, you're an American. You Once you started helo. flying yeah. one, you were <laughs> one of those things. They yeah. were the best. Absolutely. For you. Yeah. It was. It was a ball. And there's there's things you know any any aircraft you fly there's there's just cool stuff you can do with it. So that's uh, it, once once you get to learn that the the cool stuff then it's a lot of fun. What's what's one of the cool things for a helicopter? Um, so it depends on the aircraft. The the H fifty three being giant probably the most fun well the two most fun maneuvers that you do are a 360 auto a 360 auto rotation which a, a helicopter doesn't glide like a plane glides so if you know a plane if you lose your engines you you can sort of glide and hopefully there's somewhere around you can land and and all's well hopefully uh a helicopter doesn't glide. If you lose power or your tail rotor fails, you basically fall like a safe. Uh, so, but there's a way you can stop it, and that's called it's called an auto rotation. So, if you lose if you lose power, this thing on your left, I'm I'm, I'm gesturing. It's all good. Nobody can see. Yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> da- so, Daniel will describe in the post. Got it. Okay. Yeah, right. So, annotate. on your left side, there's the thing called the collective, and it's called the collective because it moves the rotor blades collectively all at the same time, mm. and so that gives you makes you go straight up or straight down. Uh, so when you go into a, uh, an auto rotation, you take all the power off the aircraft. So you put the collective all the way to the bottom. So it's not creating any lift at all. And you start falling like a stone. And the cool thing about it is just aerodynamically, the airflow going up through the rotor system keeps it turning. So it doesn't actually stop. And so the, the key to an auto rotation is line yourself up on where you're going to land right be- and, and keep some speed on. And then right before you hit the ground, take all your put your nose up in the air to take all your speed off then lower the nose down pull up on the collective and that gives you one last jolt of lift and if you time everything perfectly the rotor stops right as you touch down and so you can theoretically walk away from a complete power loss in a helicopter but it's it's a wild ride so you test you 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 practice 
auto rotations. You don't practice full auto rotations because people would crash left and right. So you, you kind of level off at 50 feet to give yourself a little bit of, of, of extra slop. But an H53 in particular is big and it, I mean, it just falls out of the sky. So the a 360 auto rotation is when you do a 360 degree corkscrew on your way down because of the winds, like you're right over the place where you want to land and maybe there's trees everywhere else. Mm -hmm. So the key is to make a full turn as you're going down and, and line it up just right so that you get, you get, you can land perfectly. And so as a flight instructor, you, you learn, you get to demonstrate a 360 auto to flight students that you don't let flight students do it. But as a flight instructor, you can, you can demo them. And the cool thing about doing it in a 53, H53, is that when you enter the auto rotation, not only do you have to get the collective all the way down, but you got to push the nose all the way over. So you're kind of hanging in your straps as you're making the, making the turn. And all you see is the ground. Like you're, you're a, a thousand feet up looking straight down at the ground as you corkscrew down. And uh, it's a really cool ride. I mean, it, you go down quick. And so it's, it's just fun. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like a really scary uh, roller coaster ride. It's it's a roller coaster. I mean, it's really cool, though. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So, right. so I have three stories that I know, and I can't decide which one I want Gene to tell next. <laughs> oh, God. Um, Why don't you tell a story? I don't, I don't have any stories. You, tell, you got a lot of stories. Well, I mean, I'll t since you're our guest, I'll tell a story right, that involves both of us. Um, it's, my, it's one of my go-tos. So Gene and I uh, worked at this large bank in Richmond. I'm sure nobody will figure it out um, <laughs> for a while together. He was my boss a couple different times. He ends up going down to a, a gig in Atlanta, says, why don't you come down? Long story short, I ended up working there. We're traveling from Richmond to Atlanta every week. Uh, Monday through Thursday for a while. Uh, we would fly together, same flight. We were in the same rental car. We were in a lot of meetings together on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We would eat lunch and dinner, usually together. Uh, and this one particular week, we had been together probably 80 plus percent of our waking hours for four days. Mm -hmm. and, well, and this was the third day. This is the end of the third day, and we're... We weren't talking to each other because uh, there was nothing to talk about. We, right. we, we were talked out for the week. <laughs> just two middle-aged grumpy dudes just trying to get, get to our hotel rooms. And uh, we're headed towards the elevator bay. And uh, I, I was certainly sensing this. I think Gene was sensing it. But I was the one who said something first. I said, hey, Gene, do you want to go uh, in that elevator by yourself? He's like, I, I sure do. <laughs> so so we, we took the elevator by himself, and I waited for the next one because we had had enough that of each was other. A, that was we enough. We had had way too much of each other that week. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you, Daniel? Being tired of somebody after hanging out with them for a long time? Yeah. And, and oh, yeah. And take it, but did you take a separate elevator? You're no, so I never, it never got to the point <laughs> where we, we hated each other, but we were so communicative that something like that could happen. I think that's yeah. a unique situation where you guys were on the same page, but... Yeah. Also, kind of soon thereafter, I think I went Tuesday to Friday. That's, like, that's true. It was, it was shortly <laughs> after that. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I, I feel like that's that's just something that's got to happen with like the people in your life where you you reach that you come to a head, and then after that, there, there's always a too much. Yeah, yeah, and then always. Usually, it's like better for it. Like the relationship is better for it long term. Yeah, sure. I think that's right. All right, so you had the opportunity to go to a school that I kind part of me wanted to go to, but uh, I'm. 
maybe glad I didn't go to Sears School. Can you tell uh, us about Sears School? About sure. Sears School. Yeah. So actually, I I would say that's the that's the best training I ever got in the Navy. Wow. Yeah. Is that an acronym? Sears. Yeah. Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape. It's a uh, it's basically a one week prisoner of war camp school, and uh, the thing that makes it fascinating is first of all when I went there, the guy who ran it was a had been a POW in Vietnam for seven years. So he took so, his uh, training seriously. So he knew what he was talking about. Yeah. And uh, wow. they give you a, it's a day in the classroom, and then uh, there used to be two Sear schools. I think there may only be one now. Uh, there, the, I went to one up in Maine. And it's kind of in northern Maine in the middle of the woods. Mm-hmm. And at that time, the, you know, the Soviets were the, they were the bad guys. Uh, so the, the scenario that they, that they played was um, basically they would stick you out in the middle of the woods and teach you a little bit about how to make um, shelters that were sort of invisible in case you're behind enemy lines and that sort of thing. And the idea being that you spend a little bit of time out there um, in the woods and after a couple of days uh, of not eating and stuff, then you get captured and you go into the POW camp. And so the, uh, the thing that's really good about that school is that they don't really hold back. Uh, I mean, they don't kill anybody, but, uh, so I guess they do. But, um, but they can hit you. They can, they can beat you. They, can, they, they do all kinds of stuff to you. And um, it really it, it actually makes you learn a lot about what, what it's like, what you're like under, under extreme stress. Um, so, you know, you go, you go a couple of days. Um, the idea is on the second day you have to go through, they have guys walking around in the woods with AK 47s looking for you. And the idea is you're supposed to get to this safe house. And my idea was like, I just wanted to not go to the prisoner camp for as long as possible. And so my idea was, I'm just going to hide in these rocks and, and, and wait till they blow the whistle because that was that was the thing. And once they blew this big this big siren, you had to go down to the, the the road and they'd pick you up. So I hung out in the in and just listened to people running around shooting for a while. And then and then they blew the horn. I came down and they they load everybody into a truck and take you to the POW camp. No way. And uh, uh, and yeah, I mean it, it it's it is um, so yeah. The the best thing about that week, it was. I guess it was March or early April in northern Maine. And the whole week it was about 38 degrees and raining. So it was miserable. Like I wish it was snowing because it was just just cold enough not to snow. And uh, so when you're out in the woods for three days with nothing to eat and it's just, it's just cold rain all the time, it's pretty miserable. The best point of the week was when they capture you and they, they do a bunch of things to you right off the bat, but they take all your clothes away from you. And so the best part of the week was they threw me in this cell and it was warm and it was dry. Like I didn't have clothes on, but I didn't care. Like it was, it was tremendous. You didn't just, have any clothes on? No, no. And so just for that, you know, that half an hour when nobody was messing with me, just to be sitting there warm and dry was awesome and then they you know they take you and they interrogate you and they beat you up and they um yeah the intent is that they they do things to you that will make you pass out essentially um and everybody does they like everybody goes through the same sort of sort of thing as they ask you questions and eventually you pass out and they drag you back to your cell and then they take you in for round two 
And so round two comes around and now, you know, like, Hey, the way to get out of this is like, I'm just going to, I'm going to let them make me pass out. And, but they know that you're going to do that. So they kind of, they kind of keep that away from you for a while so that you can, uh, you can enjoy the fun that they serve up to you. So, so, so you got punched in the face a couple of times. It's more like, more like slapped around. Uh, okay. Like there, there's no closed fist punch in the back, nose, back break your nose, slap, kind that of kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 Slow, throwing up against walls, you know, a lot of a lot of throwing around. That's not going to really like people break bones, but not often that right. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the warm and dry thing. So thirty five, thirty six degrees and raining. Yeah, it's it's the worst feeling in the world. I, yes, I, I would rather be in negative twenty degrees and a bunch of snow. Yes. than thirty six and, and wet. And I so think that's right. I can appreciate. I was being like dry. an army guy for a little while. Yeah, right. Mm hmm. That's right. And then you were smart enough to go back to doing Navy stuff. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's, good so, it's always warm in that helicopter. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah yes, it is. <laughs> uh, tell me uh, your favorite uh, Navy base or Army post that you've ever been to. Hmm. Um, and then, of course, the follow-up question is the, the worst. The worst. Right. Sure. And I, and I think, I I think you know the worst. Yeah. yeah. In fact, we've both been to that place. Yes, we have. Um. Well, Air Force has the best the best airfields, <clears throat> for sure. Um, it's because they know how to spend their money. They do know how to spend their money. Yeah. Um, so I would say I, I, I'm, I'm, this is kind of a cop out answer, but it's generally anywhere that the Air Force hangs out is generally pretty nice. Nice. Um, and then the worst is Fort Polk, Louisiana. <laughs> that that's one of it's the worst so, places around. It's so bad. Oh, oh man. What what I, the, I, I think when I were there. you there? I was there in 94 and again in 99. Okay. And we're in the field. We're Army guys, right? Yeah, we're in the yeah. field most of the time. But when we were in the barracks, the uh, there were, I don't know, maybe 10, 20% of the barracks were flooded. <laughs> Nobody seemed to care. And uh, some of the barracks had bats in them that had sure apparently been defecating there for, for a couple of years. Right. There was bat guano everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah, Polk's a mess. It the, really is. It's it's the place that the uh, the army forgot about. I think. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And, it, and of course, it's in central Louisiana, so it's in the summer. It's it's hot, humid. It's just it's just not a fun place. Yeah, I was there for about three hours. Yeah, I was there for uh, the last time I was there. I was there for three weeks, and we were in the field for about <laughs> I don't know eighteen, nineteen. That's days. miserable. Three hours is enough to give you that bad of an impression. So we flew in there. We were flying from Norfolk to Corpus Christi. And we diverted there for thunderstorms. We were supposed to go to New Orleans, and we diverted to Fort Polk. And we landed there and shut down. And I looked around, and I said, there is no way I'm staying at this place. <laughs> so as soon as there was any break in the weather, we were out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So your, your story about the golf course is, I, I think, probably your best story, I'm guessing. But you've got some other stories that are similar where you, you've almost crashed. And you've participated sure. in air shows, too. Is that right? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, probably the uh, probably the air show that was closest, the, the, the death-defying experience, was actually not an air show. Um, the, uh, the day I almost killed Santa Claus is what we call it. Um, Who's we? Your, your buddies that were there yeah. at the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so we had a tradition. The squadron I was in when I was in the reserves was it was half active duty guys and half reservists. And so a lot of the reservists, like myself, came from out of town. And every year the squadron would have a Christmas party. 
and uh, with kids coming into the hangar and Santa would be there and all that kind of stuff. And the tradition was that, that Santa would fly in on a, one of our helicopters. And so it traditionally also fell to the reservists who didn't have families in town, we would fly Santa in. So one year we concocted this idea that wouldn't it be cool to actually fly in as a flight of two helicopters with Santa in the lead aircraft and we, you know, we'd fly in next to the crowd and one aircraft would break and the other aircraft would would, would break means turn very hard. Okay. The other aircraft would turn very hard and you'd come around and land and Santa would hop out and give toys to all the good little children. Um, so that was the plan and we briefed the CO that that's what we were planning on doing because the, the way the hangar was set up, the hangar was, was along a long, long seawall. So there was a perfect place for the crowd to line up and see us fly down the seawall. We'd be far away from the crowd. Everything would be fine. And that was the plan that we had we had briefed and decided was was fine. The skipper was good with it. So uh, I was I was the lead pilot in, in Santa's aircraft, and my buddy Joe Labou was in the other aircraft. And uh, we went out and we were loitering around about loitering about ten miles out from Norfolk until the crowd was gathered. And in the course of this time that we were loitering, the the CO had decided, you know what, it's going to be impossible to control all these kids outside of the hangar near the seawall. It's just crowd control is too hard. So we're going to say we're going to have them on the other side of the hangar. And so the operations department calls and said, hey, Skipper wants to change it up. And can you fly in perpendicular to the seawall and, and fly in toward the other side of the hangar and do the same thing? And so we briefed it. And we said, yeah, sure, we could do that. And so... We had decided that um, as we flew in, and again, I'm using my hands, um, the Joe Labou in the, in the Dash 2, the second aircraft, would be right next to me as we flew in, a little bit behind and a little bit above me. And when he got over the seawall, he would break and he would say, I'm breaking, and that would be my, my signal to start the turn. So we're, we're roaring on in there at about 150 knots, 175 miles an hour, about uh, 100 feet off the ground. And Santa's in the window. Santa's, he's in a gunner's belt, so he can't fall out. But he's in, he's in the window getting ready to wave to people. <clears throat> all the families and the kids are all lined up. And so we're roaring in, and I didn't realize, but uh, the, my wingman had gotten far back. He'd gotten too far back, and he wasn't, he wasn't keeping up. Uh, so I flew over the seawall and I'm expecting a second or two later for him to say to call the break and I would then turn and he wasn't calling it and I was I was getting a little nervous because out in front of me because we had changed the plan up out in front of me there's this this building that we're kind of coming up on and it was all it was a small building but it was made out of metal and kind of like a corrugated tin sort of building and yep. the H53 is is got about 100 knots of downwash underneath the underneath the aircraft when it's flying and we're only 100 feet off the ground so my fear was we we're going to we we're going to end up flying over this thing and it would be obliterated like a hurricane just by the air just from the air so i'm getting really kind of tense we're roaring by the crowd santa's in the window waving everything seems normal <laughs> yeah except to us and then finally he calls the break and so i'm like Phew. and it rolled into a at this point i didn't want to roll into the building so i rolled into a fairly fairly steep turn and i'm coming around on my turn and i'm about halfway through the turn and he unfortunately had turned 
much more gently than I did. Oh, no. So as I came around about halfway through the turn, my entire windscreen filled up with his helicopter. And there he was. And it's, you know, you know those moments like when you when it's like time slows down and, and you can like, I can remember this like it was yesterday. I can remember bits and pieces like we're in about a 110 degree angle of bank turn. So we were past 90 degrees. We were at 100 feet off the ground. And then the rotor arc is 79 feet on a H53. So the tips of the rotors were probably about 50 feet off the ground and slowing down from 150 knots. Santa, meanwhile, had been waving, and now he's just hanging there in the straps, just hanging. And Santa's going to die. <laughs> right, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we turned inside of him. We came around, and we landed. And yeah, Santa, Santa got out, and he dusted himself off, got out, and, and did his thing. And we were supposed to go flying for a couple hours. And so... Uh, it was really, really quiet. Nobody was talking in the aircraft. And uh, I called the tower and got clearance to take off. And we, we flew out past out, 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 out past Norfolk. And uh, nobody was talking. And finally, the guy I was flying with said, that was really close. And I said, yeah, it really was. And he said, I don't want to fly anymore today. And I said, yeah, me neither. We just went back and like... There was no reason to fly it. Like it was, it was pretty scary. That was enough for the day. Yeah. So you cut the angle so tight that you were. You we got inside him all the way. Inside. He actually, it was really an optical illusion. Like we were actually never gonna hit him. It just, it was a surprise because I thought he was gonna be further out. Mm -hmm. So it was more of a surprise than anything. And it's like, oh wow, there he is. Uh, so I don't think we actually ever would have hit him. But, okay. But like, how many feet would you say they were away from you at, at your closest distance? Uh, probably a couple hundred feet. Okay, but it was just the shock of of. Well, maybe it was less than that. It was pretty close, um, and it was it was bad enough that I was talking to some of the guys who were on the ground that were with their families, and they were saying like all of the like the kids were like, "That's cool, look at that!" <laughs> yeah. And all the pilots were like, "Oh god, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we that's what we meant to do, kids." <laughs> oh man, yeah. that's one of those like that could have turned into a you know national news absolutely type. absolutely you might not be sitting here today no nope. no i definitely wouldn't have been. that's got to really kind of hit you would have been a ball of fire how old were you then yeah probably early 40s 40 oh, so 41 your, your kids were around and oh yeah no it would have been bad yeah yeah mm. <laughs> yeah really bad yeah Where'd you get that uh, thing in the corner there, Paul? What's the thing in the corner? That that uh, piece of piece of furniture. The the corner cabinet yeah, looking yeah. thing. Yeah, I have no I, idea. I have almost that exact same piece of furniture. It probably came from the same Could, uh, furniture might, maker. It might be. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think my in laws bought hmm. it. What do you know? Yeah, not hmm. the one from Belize. No, you're talking about the. Whatever chairs. happened with that? It's, it's still you still don't have it. It's still a saga. Yes, you're never gonna see that. The, no way, I see it. I'll have to go down there and make it myself. It's the only way I get it. <laughs> yeah. So let's go. Let's go back to baseball. So I think wow. I, I think we shortchanged the whole baseball conversation. Sure. Yeah. Well, well you you were out talking to the plumber. The plumber the had to come late. Well, yeah. The uh, the answering service for the plumber, that right. the schedule or the scheduler. Yeah, my wife will be glad that she's on the, this podcast, unless you're somehow <laughs> magically able to edit out the that part. We'll leave her in. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. you love the organic part. I love the yeah. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> yeah. 
In fact, if you can increase the volume on that, that would be better. Well, I think I can. And then I went up there and I said, hey, honey, we're recording right now. She goes, oh, I thought it was until 630. And then she yells louder. Sorry, guys. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's, I'm sure that's on there. That's good. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. So back to baseball. Yes. Baseball. Gene, Gene was a pitcher. So, okay. And Gene, I think, would freely admit that pitchers are different typically. Yes. Not always. There's not, a lot on your shoulders. Well, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. You're more active. Yeah. You and the catcher are more active, for yeah, sure. Yeah, the mindset's usually different. Yeah, so tell yeah. us about the mindset for a pitcher. Hmm. Um, well, I think a lot of it is just that you're that you're um, that you're sort of in control all the time, or you should be. So it's uh, one of the uh, I'll, I'll, since this is story time. Um, I'll actually tell a story that's that has nothing to do with me, but it's a great illustration of yeah. of the mentality. So I had a, uh, I was really fortunate to coach a bunch of little league when, and, and travel baseball and, uh, at coaching at Huguenot little league, I had this guy, a little, little kid that uh, he wanted to pitch. And, uh, so he, he started this game and, uh, he got lit up. I mean, they, they were just rocking. They gave up a bunch of runs and then back to back homers. These like twelve year olds we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. And this kid was eleven and he was, you know, he he was actually a decent pitcher, but he just didn't have it. Not he on was, that day. Yeah. yeah, he was just getting shellacked. And so uh, I walked out there to talk to him. And he thought, you know, okay, coach is coming to take me out of the game. And uh and I looked at him and he had tears welling up in his eyes. And I looked at him and I was like, Oh man. I said, uh, I'm not taking you out of the game. And you're gonna get these next couple of guys out. And you're going to pitch the next couple innings. And I turned around and walked away. And damn if he didn't do it. Nice. Like it was, it was really, really cool. It's the best thing you could have done for him. It was really cool. And like he, he like visibly was like, oh, like nobody's going to get me out of this. I got to do it myself. And he, and he that's did. That's awesome. It was really, really cool. Yeah, One of the coolest cool. things I saw. Wow. It's very cool. I, I have a, uh, a timeout during the uh, baseball game. I was a catcher, a pitcher, pitcher, left handed guy, had, had pretty good stuff. We were not going to win the game. The other team was much more talented than us. It was definitely their day, not our day. We're about halfway through the game, and uh, their cleanup guy was coming up, and he was a really good hitter. And actually, the guy that hit with the rock by the railroad yeah. tracks, he's, yeah. he's the pitcher in this Got scenario. We're, we're actually – So he's a little loopy from that probably. Maybe, well, no, this is years later. We were, I think we were 15-year-olds playing. His playing brains roughly. might have been a little scrambled. Maybe. Yeah. He didn't seem the same after. Anyway, so he, he's he's pitching okay, but we're losing. And this guy, there's no way he doesn't crush the ball. <laughs> like, he's either going to hurt somebody in the infield right. or it's going to go over the fence. <laughs> and so our, our coach calls a timeout. And so catcher, pitcher, and coach are talking. And he's basically saying, intentionally walk this guy. There's no way he doesn't hurt somebody or hit a home run. So <laughs> there's nothing good from you pitching in the strike zone. So the coach walks away, and, and I so sit. walking is throwing crappy pitches, throwing throwing it in a place where there's no way the batter can hit. Okay, and so uh, I'm the catcher, and I he's my buddy, and I was actually <laughs> this guy uh, went to my rival high school. Okay, and we he was kind of a personal rival of mine, uh, and, and I'm like, there's no way we're intentionally walking this guy. So I said to my buddy, I'm like, pitch to him. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, he's going to kill the ball. I'm like, no, you got him, man. You got him. And I, was, I was basically saying, intentionally walking, but don't, like, stand. I'm not going to stand up and right, stand right, 10 right, feet right. outside the uh, the catcher's box. And so he th- he's throwing him some low stuff, like maybe 10 inches off the ground, and he cranked one. And there's a 
this is Lakeside Little League Field, um, north side of, t- of town. There's this giant back then, this giant oak tree. It had to be a hundred feet tall, dead center. He hit it over that tree. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's the hardest I've ever seen a ball actually participating in a game. Yeah, it's good times. Yeah. And I'm not saying... So it doesn't always work. Yeah, yeah, clearly not. Yeah, I'm not saying the guy's name because I'm still... He's still my rival. Right. Got it. Yeah. Okay. It's not... Well, who took... 35 years later. Who took the fall there? I mean, because he's the pitcher, I guess, so... It was your uh, I, idea. I'm pretty sure I told the coach that it was my idea. Oh, that's yeah. nice of you. Yeah. I, it was rec league. We are 15. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like we were losing the pennant over, over <laughs> that play. That's right. So, yeah. so speaking of pennants, Gene, and I I kind of want this to be meaningful to you, Daniel, so it's probably some context. Wow. Gene is a Cubs fan. I am. Lifelong Cubs fan. Lifelong Cubs fan. Your dad uh, brought you into it, honestly. Yep. He's from Chicago. Yep. Your dad lived his entire life and, and didn't see a That's cu- right. the Cubs win the entire thing. Yeah. So talk to us about the Cubs. and Sure. And, uh, gladly. Lifelong Cubs fan. Gladly. What, what that's like. Yeah, so I start with my dad. He was uh, born in 1926 and never saw the Cubs win the World Series. He uh, he died before they did in 2016. Uh, so, yeah, I, as Paul said, came by it honestly. When I was about three or four, um, I knew that my dad was from Chicago and I knew the Cubs were terrible. So I felt sorry for them, and I figured nobody must like them. So I figured, eh, you know, I'll like them. And, uh, and that was a really fateful decision for the rest of my, rest of my life. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a long life until 2016. But in 2016, when they went to the World Series, it, well, first of all, they, had never, they hadn't been to the World Series since 1945. And, uh, uh, and they lost that World Series. They hadn't won it since 1908. But they won... Uh, they won the first series against the Giants. Then they, they played the Dodgers in the National League Championship Series. And that was one of my – one of a really, really cool memory was when they won the deciding game, my, uh, my wife Joan was uh, – you know, she, she had become a Cubs fan because of, because of me. And it was, a, it was a moment of true bliss. I was in the, in the living room watching the game with my wife and my – two sons and my older son Ian played baseball I coached him a lot he's a big baseball guy my younger son Colin who's at Christopher Newport now he was not a ball player because we probably dragged him to too many baseball fields and um, but for that moment everybody in that room was the biggest Cubs fan in the world and it was it was just a great family experience. My daughter wasn't there, unfortunately, but everybody else, we were all Cubs fans, rabid Cubs fans. Went to the World Series, and that's Paul and I were working at the the uh, company not to be named in Atlanta. Right. And um, it went to Game Seven, and we were in the hotel, or I was in the hotel in uh, in Atlanta, and so I was by myself watching Game Seven of the World Series. And it went it went to extra innings. Like it was it, it was a great rained, right? it was a great series. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was raining. Yeah, the Cubs Cubs were winning. Look at you. What how do Very you know? Very good. That? He's all over it. You can't you, I, I just think that was he such knows a it. big event that Game seven of the World Series, you yeah. can't miss it. Everybody yeah. heard about it. And I was in America. Okay. At okay. That point. Yeah. Yeah, the Cubs were down three games to so, one. They came delayed. back and tied it. And then the Cubs were ahead. They should have won it easily and they gave up a home run and you thought it was going to repeat uh many seasons yeah prior to that but you know the weird thing was when that when that happened when it went into extra innings 
I actually never, I thought they were going to win. It was the first time I can ever remember thinking when watching a Cubs game, it's all right, they're going to win. And yeah, rain, there's a rain delay, and they came out and won. And I remember I was on jumping up and down on my bed in the hotel, just screaming at the top of my lungs. It was in Chicago, won. right? No, last it? game was in Cleveland. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And just, just out of control. My wife calls, Joan calls, <laughs> like, they won, they won. <laughs> and then I hung up the phone to my sister, Mary Pat, who's not a giant baseball fan, but she she calls me. And you know, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. Right. And she calls me. It's like, boy, Dad must be looking down. And, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. It, it was It was great. So that's why I like baseball, just, just for that stuff. Wow. It's pretty cool, right? That is really cool. Yeah, I remember hearing about that and that – it really seemed like um, both teams had such a compelling yeah. story. Oh yeah, that's true. And had yeah, either I, one won, it, it would have it would have been, been okay. Yeah, I like the Indians. Yeah, that was a good team, and they were they were a good bunch. They hadn't won it since 1948. So mm. yeah, yeah. Of course, they didn't win them. One of the win, but it yeah. would have been okay. I didn't realize that you also commuted. Um, you like four days a week. Yeah. So you were still living in Richmond, but yeah. you would fly. Yeah, Monday through Thursday to Atlanta. Man, it sounds miserable. I mean, the just the travel part of that it. That was it was long, and I think Paul would probably corroborate this. The only the thing that was okay about it was there was so much that place we worked so much that it was actually kind of good to like there was nothing else to do but work. So if you're there for four days, like, okay, I'll work for, you know, I'll work a lot. Yeah, we weren't single 24-year-olds. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm. Nor did we have, you know, our families were unfortunately far away. So. Right. Yeah. So, gee, what do you like doing in your spare time? What do I like doing in my spare time? Um, I mean, besides hanging out with Joan? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 the primary. It's thing. actually really cool because, I, I mean, this is I'll, – I'll, I'll get off this in a second. But one of the cool things about we're, an, we're empty nesters now. So our youngest just went to college this year. And uh, uh, proud as heck of all our kids. Like, it's really cool to see what they – they're all very, very different. It's really cool to see what they have grown up to become. Uh, really enjoy that. But it's also really cool – like, I didn't know what it was going to be like not having kids in the house and it's really cool like just getting to know know your wife again and all that kind of stuff is really it's awesome like it's it's very very different and it's like it's almost like dating again so that's a lot of fun wow um does does joan feel the same way i don't know i I think she does (laughs) i think she does you know i'm gonna ask her when i go i've like i've heard mostly that people get lonely they're like it's not lonely at all no it's really cool i mean it is like you miss them for sure Mm -hmm. um but you know enough about what they're doing that you can kind of live vicariously a little bit. Um, but it's do, also really cool. And do they come back for Thanksgiving or Christmas? Well, Katie lives in town. So yeah, oh, we, nice. so thankfully we see her a bunch, which is great. And then Colin's at, at college, so he comes. In fact, he's home tonight for spring break. So, oh, cool. uh, so that's cool. Oh, we're keeping you away from him. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. That's all. It's, it's good. It's all good. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for reminding me. Um, that's awesome. Um, and then uh, Ian is is a uh, intelligence officer in the Navy now, so he's deployed on the USS Teddy Roosevelt, somewhere probably in the South China Sea right now. So, yeah, we won't see him for a little while. Is Teddy an aircraft carrier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, oh, so 
other things I do in my spare yeah, time. Yeah, when, when Joan's maybe doing other things and not spending time with you. So I've taken up, uh, I, I like virtual reality. I love this. I learned this a few months ago. Yeah. I mean, it's just fun. Yeah. Like, it's it's a it's a whole new world getting into that kind of stuff. Huh. So You didn't see that coming, did you? Not Dan? at all. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I enjoy the heck out of that. Yeah. yeah what, do you, what do you like about it? Um, well, I mean, it's it's the perfect uh, it's the perfect escape from everything that's going on. Like you're literally like I, you, you play a game that you're into and you have no idea. Yeah, you could you could start with uh, when the sun's in the sky and wake up and everything's pitch dark around you. And you have no idea. So that's that's what I like about it. It's yeah, just yeah. kind of cool. You like uh, spreadsheets a lot too. I like a spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing like a uh, you know 150 megabyte spreadsheet. <laughs> oh nothing like God. a lo- nothing like a long form <laughs> equation that might be the answer to. Uh... Right. I think I might have cured cancer at some point. <laughs> yeah. Probably two or three different times. Right. Right. I just don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> What's the spreadsheet thing? Gene loves spreadsheets, man. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. It's 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 sort of a character flaw. Like I'll oh, yeah. I'll, I'll sit I, there. And, I wasn't yeah. applying that. Yeah. No. We, I. I <laughs> It's it's stupid, but it is what it is. I just I, I I will spend a lot of time in spreadsheets. It's weird. So my uh, my memory of Gene and spreadsheets. There were four of us at one point that traveled Richmond to Atlanta, and it was budget season. Mm. We were trying to come up with a budget, and there's nothing better uh, mm. for a spreadsheet than a good old budget. And so Gene had had filled up. Uh, every cell possible i think and, and it, it was the capacity for excel at the time <laughs> and um we were there with him and we we're trying to figure out exactly the budget to come up with and i don't remember exactly why it was taking us into the night but at one point i realized gene just wanted to be with a spreadsheet yeah <laughs> and I, i'm like gene i think i'm gonna go and it's like <laughs> okay it's like two o'clock in the morning <laughs> It was amazing. Yeah. Uh, now, when, here's a question for you. Right. When, when you were with uh, Tom a little while ago, right? Did the uh, the story of the um, the shake come up? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yep. good. It okay. was a, it was the second part of his. Uh, good. Episode. I'm glad that I'm glad that. Came Did you up. enjoy that story, Daniel? Yeah, it was yeah. good. That's a funny story. That yeah. needs to be kept for posterity. That's Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of posterity. Uh, You've talked about your kids a little bit, but tell us more about your your family. Yeah, so so um, I'm happily married to Joan. We've been married since uh, 1986, so it's been a couple of years. High school sweethearts. Um, yeah, I, I met when we met when I was a junior in high school, and she was a sophomore. Um, so yeah, so we've been we've been dating a while, um, and made it through uh, high school and Navy deployments and all that kind of stuff, which is is really cool. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's actually one of those things where you know, people tend to talk a lot about in the military. Talk about the stories that are like the exciting stories, of, you know, stuff that that people want to hear. But I always I always think that one of the best the my best memories in the military. One of them is certainly the first deployment that I went on. I like I don't. What rank were you? Where how how long had you been in the guard? When you went on your first, I'd been lengthy. In, I'd been in for a while, actually. Yeah, yeah. So this was. I was uh, in my thirties. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was not, and uh, you know, did a, a Western Pacific cruise, and one of the best memories I, I have in the military was was coming home from that, like you know, landing at the at the airfield and 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 seeing my wife for the first time in a long time was was really really cool. Yeah. Like that's a that's something that you don't forget. So, yeah, you know, that's 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 a memory that sticks with you. So, um, 
we had our uh, we had Katie went in 1993, and uh, Katie is Katie is awesome. She is a um, very extroverted actress, uh, incredibly creative. So she got all of the creative genes. In well, that's probably not true. She got a lot of the creative genes in the family, and uh, she's a, she went to Shenandoah Conservatory in uh, Winchester, and uh, actually lives here in town. Does uh, she works at MCV as a uh, uh, a standardized patient, uh, meaning she pretends she's sick for uh, med school students. Uh, actually, she's been doing that for about five years now, which is really cool. Uh, and she does a whole bunch of other, a bunch of other things around town. So, really, really, uh, really proud of all my kids. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Um, and then uh, uh, Ian, as I mentioned, in the Navy, he's uh, yeah, he's went from civilian to deployed in the Western Pacific in about a year, which is kind of cool. And then Colin is is uh, he's another creative one. He's an English major at CNU, and that kid can write. It's really kind of cool. He's he can he uh, he can turn a phrase like uh, like very few people can. It's really kind of cool. So we should have him on the podcast. We should have. Yeah, maybe all three of your kids. You don't know what they what Colin would say. He would come up with something that's unusual. Is he thought provoking or funny or both? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I knew you were going to yes me yeah. there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you teed it up. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Paul, tell us about your kids. Uh, yeah, they're, they're a, a boy and two girls. That's kind of all, <laughs> all, all you need in that. No, just like your kids, they're yeah. all they're all uh, wonderfully different mm-hmm. in their own way. We'll we'll do the episode zero. All right, Yolman family okay. thing. So, Gene, you've been to the Middle East more than once. I have. Uh, tell us about your Desert Shield, Desert Storm experience. I guess it was Desert Storm. I think we... Yeah, it was probably the last, like, three days of Desert Shield. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, 1991 uh, with HM15. Uh, we were based out in Alameda. And, uh, um, yeah, I guess the story the story there is we got we, we did a lot of um, – uh, Onboard replenishment for the ships that were doing shore bombardment and whatnot in uh, off of Kuwait. Uh, so we got there in we got there in uh, January of 1991, about I don't know three or four days before the the uh, the air war started. And at that point, we were we were stationed in Bahrain, and the the idea was that we would fly out to the all the ships in the in the Persian Gulf with. H-53, in addition to minesweeping, is giant on the inside, so you can carry, you know, tons and tons of stuff that ships need. Um, Bahrain was a big hub, so we were basically you know, carrying the mail for, for a few months. And the plan was uh, that as soon as the shooting started, they, they figured that they would move us away from the action. Bahrain wasn't really close to the action, but... They figured they would move us down to the UAE. We were going to go to uh, Fujara down in the United Arab, United Arab Emirates once the shooting started. And uh, we were living in this compound, the uh, administrative service unit in Bahrain. And uh, at that point, I haven't been back there in years, but at that point it was, uh, they had a, a bar there called the Crypt. That was, uh, that. that's where, they, they, Bahrain is a very westernized emirate. And so they, yeah, that's, uh, so alcohol is fine. And we were there on the night that the air war was supposed to start. Uh, well, we didn't know it was supposed to start. We were at the crypt and we were having a couple of beers. And along about 11 o'clock, the, the, uh, the local guy, the Arab who ran the place, he just left. This is 2300 local. Yeah, 2300 local. Yeah. He just walked out. 
and uh, and we were the only. You know, there's probably five or six pilots that were left in the place, and and the guy, the bartender, just leaves. And so the bar was open, like he didn't lock anything up or anything. He just walked out. So we we fell too, and we started started having a good time. And along about two o'clock, we had that was enough, and we uh, we wandered back to our cots in 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 the, the little. It was you know a hundred people in cots in this in this one room, and uh, <clears throat> we went to sleep. And about uh, four o'clock in the morning, the guy who was in charge of our detachment bursts in and said, "Come on, we're flying to Fujara." And we were all hammered, <laughs> and, and so uh, so. We looked at each other and were like, all right, let's go. <laughs> and uh, so we start driving to the airfield. And on the way, you know, you, you start thinking about this. And you're like, man, it's, it's dark out. We're not in really good shape to fly. Like, it's, it's, somebody's going to get hurt. And uh, so we drive all the way into the airfield and, and get ready to start pre-flighting the aircraft. And then uh, smarter heads prevailed. And they were like, yeah, you know what? Why don't you guys go back to bed? Uh, so we did, and they never moved us. We were there the whole time in, oh, wow. in Bahrain, uh, which was a, uh, I mean, it was, it was an interesting experience. You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, there are lots of, lots of interesting things that we saw and whatnot. You know, I think the, one of the coolest, coolest moments we, we used to, every day you'd go up and you'd, you'd fly, you'd get, uh, the list of where you were supposed to go, the ships you were supposed to hit on that particular day with all of the, the, the stuff that you were taking out there. And for weeks, it was all, every, all the, basically the U.S. fleet was hanging out near Dubai, down in the UAE, just kind of at anchor down there. And uh, we came in one morning and they weren't there anymore. They were off of Kuwait. And uh, it was one of the cooler moments in my in my flying career, flying out there to the ships and it seemed like every ship in the fleet was was steaming up toward Kuwait. Battleships, aircraft carriers, like it was a display, and it was like, man, that's I don't know what's going to happen next, but that's really cool. And uh, it's like out of a World War II <coughs> movie, kind of. It thing. really, really was, yeah. and it was it was wild. That's and, what they put uh, in the commercials. It kind of was. It was like being in a commercial, and, uh, and yeah. So so, and then they you know they got up there, and those battleships are cool. I don't know what anybody thinks about them, but you know. 16-inch guns oh, yeah. that shoot 2,000-pound projectiles a couple of 25 miles. That's kind of cool. Basically, shooting the Volkswagen 25 miles is kind of cool. Um, and that's what they do. You know, They just kind of hung out outside of, outside of Kuwait. Just, can, you, can you wrap your head around that? Not really. I thought the battleships had kind of gotten, gone out of style. Yeah, this is the first Gulf War. They're still, still around. and I mean, that's a pretty good weapon. Yeah. I uh, guess like coast... Coast, like... Um, attack it, mm-hmm. it makes more sense but that's you, right you don't exactly see like ships lining up no. across from each other like. <laughs> broadsides and stuff yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's kind of gone out of gone out of fashion yeah like 150 years ago right right yeah. right right yeah, yeah. just yeah. you know just throwing that out there man. Yeah. yeah um yeah so so you guys were in kuwait at very different times well you came back yeah. to uh the middle east yeah i was there for the second second gulf war too um only guys that were there for the first gulf war call it the second gulf war is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? What I, was, I was a senior in college for the first one. Yeah. What do you call it? Well, I was there for Operation Iraqi Freedom. Iraqi Freedom. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Huh. Is yeah. that, I guess that's probably right. I, isn't think, it? I think it is. Yeah. Huh. Do the different branches have different names for these operations? Uh, no, I think that's Paul's We're, probably right. It's yeah. like if you're there for the first one, you probably call it the second one. Huh. Yeah. That's right. Huh. 
But you you were participating in OIF, I think. Yeah. Yeah. As were you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So you were active nine years, and then yeah. did you? And then you were you were in the reserves. What does that mean? What like how did your responsibilities change? Um, so uh, actually quite a bit. So as a active duty guy, you have a lot more, probably a lot more responsibility. As a reservist in, in the squadron I was in, basically our job was to fly. Like all the guys who did it were guys who had been flying the same aircraft for a long time. So it was sort of like, you know, in case of war, break glass kind of thing. And you would go to wherever. Um, so it was a lot, uh, frankly, a lot easier as a reservist. Um, so yeah, second, second Gulf war. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, was that where you were a reservist at the time of the second, the second one I was. Yeah. So they called you in and said, Hey, we need somebody to fly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, I, so the, the, the squadron I was in had a requirement that they had to be anywhere in the world in 72 hours operational. And so for H-53s, what that meant is like they, they tear the aircraft down and they stick it into a C-5 Air, Air Force transport. which Really big plane. It's giant. Like yeah. H-53 is a giant helicopter and it fits inside of a C-5 when you pull the main rotor head off. You pull, you pull everything off, but still it's a giant Air Force. Take that frame, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so that's one of the requirements and, and, you know, the rumors fly whenever, whenever there's almost a war, wouldn't you agree? Yes. <laughs> so, and, and maybe 5% of it's true. Yeah, um, maybe. So, uh, I flew down, I was going down to the squadron on a Friday evening to, uh, get my day and night ship qualifications back. So you have to fly, you have to land on a ship on in daytime and nighttime every six months in order to stay qualified. And my quals had lapsed. So I was going down to get day night ship called and uh, I drove into the squadron and it was like a beehive of activity. Everybody's breaking the helicopters apart and all that stuff because they had just gotten the word that the squadron was going to, to the Gulf. And uh, so I, I walked up to the CO's office and I, I, I'd flown with the CO a lot and, uh, and said, hey, hey, Skipper, what's going on? He goes, yeah, we just got the word. We're going, we're going to uh, Bahrain. And uh, he said, when can you go? And I said, right now. And he said, okay, you're in. And I said, all right. And I turned around and I walked out and I started thinking, well, heck, my employer doesn't know. My, <laughs> my wife doesn't know. And I just sort of signed up to say, yeah, I'm going. And so um, I called Joan and said, Hey, you know, here's what's going on. I explained, and she said, uh, "Okay." And um, and I called called uh, my employer, and they said, "That's great. You know, we'll take care of everything. Don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. Great." Um, so I drove home, and and uh, so one of the things about Joan is, you know, so, so we had been married for our entire time through the military, and <clears throat> and so she was used to um, me being away a lot. So the first, first tour, active tour in the Navy, <clears throat> out of 36 months, I was probably away from home for 29 or 30 months, just constantly somewhere. And so she was sort of used to that. But it's not like it's particularly easy. And um, in, in that, per- well, so we roll, I roll into the house, and, and uh, you know, she's a little bit down, understandably. Because you were a reservist. You were, right, I was a reservist. Yeah. It's, it's, you know. It's not normal for for reservists to get 
called up. Um, and so I was explaining to her, you know, honey, they, they asked me to go. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. The sort of knowing that that's, it's technically true, but really it's sort of, sort of not. And she said uh, something very astute. She said, you know, I know that they probably asked you to go, but I also know that every time somebody's going somewhere, you always just happen to be around when they're asking. <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And so, so if you hadn't been going down to get your qualifications at that time and walked into that CO's office who you happen to know, yeah. you might not have gotten roped in. Nah, it probably would have. It probably would have happened. Um, he may have found his way down there after he heard word. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Well, you got to get in the game. Yeah. Did you want to go? You got to get. Yeah, yeah. Got to get in the game. You got to get in the game. If if you, you don't you don't uh, practice the game to uh, sit on the bench, right? Mm. Yeah. Yes. It, I mean, it's you. You agree? Do you not? I agree because my experience going overseas was similar. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So. Uh, I happen to know the ex the brigade XO quite well. I was uh, his operations officer when he was a battalion commander, and he said, uh, "Yeah, I've got a slot that's not available right now, but uh, I don't think the guy that's in the slot really wants to go, so I can work it out. So if you say you want to go, I can make it happen. I'm like, make it happen. Yeah, and yeah, and why? Why'd you do that? Because I need to get in the game. You got to get in the game. Yeah, yeah." Sitting the bench sucks. It really does. Yeah. That's not why you do what you do. That's right. That's right. It's That's too- pretty interesting. Yeah. I agree. Very interesting. We're, we're extremely interesting. <laughs> I wouldn't be here otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh, good times. So, uh, best boss, military or civilian? Wow. Yeah. Um, it's a lot, a lot of folks I know. There are a lot of folks. I've had a bunch of good bosses over the years. And don't feel compelled to go with the current one. You don't, you don't have to go there. <laughs> well, accepting him, of course. Sure. Yes. I, I mean, it him. goes without yes. saying. Yes. Um, I, I, I think it's probably... I, I've had a couple of good ones in the military that were, were spectacular because... Um, and I'm sure you've experienced this too. Like the, the mix of, uh, there's, there are guys who are, um, there are guys in the military who are frankly not great leaders, but there are a lot of guys in the military who are like, man, I would follow that dude. Yep. Um, so I've, I've had a couple of, couple of COs in, in, in the Navy that were like that. They're like, you just wanted to do stuff yeah. for them. You want to be around them. You wanted to do stuff. For uh-huh. them. Yeah. And they just had that air about them. Like you just want to, you want to make it happen. Yep. Uh, Keith Martello, he was like that. Um, I, heck, there's there's a bunch of guys that were that were like that. So yeah, I mean, there's there's several, and that's I think that it's more the quality of thing. It's the guy who, the guy who wants to get stuff done and makes. I guess it has the ability to, let the people who work for them. Do what they're going to do successfully, uh, but still kind of keep enough control to, uh, to keep the mission going yeah it's good balance yeah yeah the best ones find the balance for sure Mm -hmm. did you ever run into anybody who wasn't like a commanding officer more like one of your peers who you had a similar reaction to where you're like this guy's just a natural leader and i want to yeah i think so you see those people around um yeah absolutely there's there's people around all the time that you see that you're like 
that that guy's got something going, mm. or guy, guy or gal. I mean, it's it's not. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It happens all the time. What about the civilian side? Yeah, I mean, I've I've had I've had a great mix of bosses. Um, so I think, I mean, all kidding aside, our current boss is pretty pretty compelling. He's probably the smartest guy I've ever reported mm-hmm. to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, he's he's good to work for. Yep. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, well, heck, guy, other other folks I've had that have been great. Caliban was a good boss. Yeah. He really was a great, great balance of of uh, a good executive. I think he knows uh, about the podcast too. Oh god! So he may hear okay. that. Fantastic! Yeah. All right. Um, Lynn Loby was a good boss. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's there's been a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. How about you? I I didn't see this coming. <laughs> this, this, what Gene asking you the question back? Yeah, I mean, I kind of did, but I didn't give it any real thought. Yeah. Uh, Present company excluded since I've reported to you sure, like sure. five different times in right, my life. Right, right, right. Which <laughs> probably means I should re-examine some of my decisions. Um, yeah, I mean, our current boss, I sure. Yeah. Um, the guy that I was uh, the operations officer for, his last name, unfortunately, as an Army guy, is uh, Coffin. That's unfortunate. It's a really bad name. He's deployed a couple of times with that name <laughs> on his uniform. But he, he was... Uh, he was serious when he needed to be serious. He he was relaxed when he needed to be relaxed. He cared about all the right things. Yeah. Um, he he cared about everybody in his command, uh, in a very deep, meaningful way. Yeah, I would have followed that dude ever. He's going to be on the podcast. Uh, cool. In a couple of months, I think. Very cool. Yeah. He's Where's up, he live now? He's up in uh, Lorton. Okay. Uh, right. He's the nuclear proponent guy for sub agency as a civilian. He retired a few okay. years ago. Yeah. He did thirty active. Or just wow. shy of 30 active. Wow, good yeah. for him. Holy moly. Yeah, he was regular Army for like 18 years and then uh, did another 12 in the active guard reserve huh. system. Yeah. How many guys go from active active military to guard? It's more than Is you it, would think. And yeah. It's actually from all services. We've had yeah. Coast Guard guys, huh. a fair number of Navy guys. Yeah. Navy guys coming in as infantrymen. Like, That's awesome. They clearly weren't infantry guys when they were in the Navy. That's but, awesome. But they joined as infantry guys. Huh. Uh, yeah, the guard's got a lot of really smart, uh, diversely experienced folks. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. kind of neat. And of course, every large organization has people that aren't so great. Knuckleheads, but, yeah, yeah, sure. But, but there are a lot of people that uh, I think normal society takes for granted who they are and what they do for their country. Yeah, or what they're willing to do. I think that is that is absolutely true. I had one guy who was an E four. Had two master's degree and a PhD. Wow! And I'm like, well, what are you doing here? He what goes, was he doing? There? He's like, I want to serve. All right, that's it. Good for him. I just want to serve. Yeah, it's so amazing. If yeah. you're just a civilian that hasn't had any military experience and you're trying to, like, serve your country, is is the guard like the place to go? There's well, so the the there's a reserve component which Gene was part mm-hmm. of. Um, and it's, I guess it's the, I don't know what it's even called. I guess it's the U.S. Navy Reserve, yeah. USNR. Yep. And the, the Army has an equivalent, the United States Army Reserve, and they're both federal-level uh, components. And the Army National Guard, you have the privilege of working for the governor of mm-hmm. your state as well as the president if called upon to right. work for the president. And so you go from a Title 32 status at the state level to a Title 10 status. So people who, like, are civilians, have civilian jobs, um, into the, like their thirties, you know, and like have families, but then have this change of heart. Like, Hey, I want to, I want to go and be there for my country if I'm needed. Is can, that what, can they join? 
Yeah. Well, it's not just guys in their 30s. You can join the National Guard when you're 18, too. Yeah, I know that. But, um. like, I kind of, you know, I, I'm kind of thinking that, like, once you hit your late 20s, the, the military ship kind of has sailed. You're going to join up, aren't you? No. All right, so th- no, this, is, this is a perfect segue. Into, to I'm what- just, no, but I'm wondering, like, if people did want to. Maybe, I, I don't know. You could. So w- w- something we try to do with a lot of our guests, some, some guests don't want to do this, but I think you're, you're game for this. And I pr- we probably know the answer, but we'll ask the question anyway. Okay. Go back to you're you're 25 years old. Yeah, you're you and Joe are not married. I know you and Joe got yep. married before you're 25, uh, and you're you're like I don't know what to do with a lot of my time. I got a lot of a lot of free time, or maybe I want to make a, a big direction change in, in my life. Would you choose to join the military at age 25, and so you've got a four year commitment of yep. whatever your whatever branch you're going to join, or for six months, every week stand up in front of a crowd of strangers doing stand-up comedy that you wrote? Oh, military for sure. Okay. And I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> is that like actually a question? It is. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I think Daniel, I, I'm, I'm probably halfway to convincing him that he should do stand-up. Really? Yeah. I'm the only one... I think so far that's said stand up because we've had a lot of we've also question. had okay. a lot of military guys. Yeah, it's so probably helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, we've yeah. only had one non-military. So guy. you'd yeah. say stand up? Well, I did the first time, but okay. I, I mean, I acknowledge that there's like a ton of yeah of of uh, benefit to be gained from joining the military. Sure. So, but stand up was more of a uh, I was kind of in the mood of um, I want to I want to put myself in uh, situations of adversity. Yeah, and way out of my comfort zone. Yeah, that would do it. You're just, like the Joker. Yeah, well, I, I just saw that movie for the first time last week. It's a depressing did, movie. Yeah. Oh, super depressing. It's a good movie. Very heavy. Yeah, yeah, super heavy. Yeah, so you've actually started uh, putting some uh, material together, right? I've been like, well, I was on a plane and I just, <laughs> really? I just wrote, I just wrote stuff down. Say something funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> no, but I told you you can do it here. We'll we'll have strangers come over and you can. Uh, that's a great idea. Paul has his fantasy that he bomb. built up. He's like, it's not. It's going to happen. It's not a fantasy. Out the basement. I'm going to put a stage up. I'll I'm put like, you right in front of that flag right and, there. And I'm going to have all these people. That's over. a good idea. And right, Gene will come. Now yeah, I'll come. I'll, yeah, I'll be there. Gene will make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what we'll do? We're going to shut down sales and bring everybody. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be people spilling out, yeah, of, the, out of the basement. <laughs> absolutely. Oh man, is it just me or I feel like of all the people, sales would give me like the most shit. No, I think they I think, would be I think they'd it. love it. Yeah, they would love no. it. No, so so the thing about folks in sales is they appreciate the uh, the predicament that you describe of being up in front of everybody and kind of laying your soul bare. Because who knows that predicament they better know than it. people in they sales. They get rejected a lot, right? Yeah, so yeah. They, they would absolutely be into it. That's very interesting. So I think we, we need to set there something up. There it is. Up. Okay. So yeah. you would never... Seem like there's no doubt in your mind. I mean, I'm funny for sure, but uh, <laughs> we got we got the very interesting, right, right, funny. <laughs> right, right. right. No, I, no, I don't think there's any choice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would entertain the, the notion of doing stand-up comedy, but if, in the end, I would join the military. Yeah. Yeah. I probably would too. I, I mean, you're not too old. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Because you know, I, I know, I know some people that uh, were in recruiting. So. When you're <laughs> describing, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It'd be cool um, to apply like engineering skills if needed. To to I don't know how much like software engineering goes on in the military, but you you can get into you can do some intel jobs that are really cool. Yeah, and he's okay. a linguist too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I, I can almost guarantee, well, I, I guess I can't guarantee it, but I think you would be a very interesting choice for the military. Okay. You should do it. Yeah. What are, what are you waiting In for? In fact, we can we can probably we could probably make it happen. You should go down to the recruiting office. <laughs> You could probably be in basic uh, in, in about a month and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah go to OCS. You could, yeah, yeah, I thought about OCS. You should go to OCS. I thought about Coast Guard OCS. The reason I, the reason I wanted to do Coast Guard in high school was uh, because my high school brain. Oh, the three branches were yes. uh, I. I kind of so Army, Air Force, Navy. I was like, those are the ones that get sent to um, countries and do stuff that you know. They get sent all over the world, yep. and at least in the case of Iraq, I, like I didn't, you know, I was like, I don't know if I'd want to go. Right. To I don't know if that war had a point. Right. Basically, and uh, I. It's a fair question. I did. I did think that whatever the Coast Guard was doing was like almost always it's defensive. You know, it's, yeah. let's save people, let's protect the border, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. Yep. So I was always drawn to the Coast Guard and, and drawn to their yep. OCS, but Coast I never Car- pulled the Coast trigger. Coast Guard was in Vietnam, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. they were. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's not always the. Uh, <laughs> let's protect okay, the Baltimore Harbor. <laughs> I guess you know if it's a you know big war like that, everybody gets mobilized. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, I kind of saw them as more of a defensive rather than offensive uh, branch, and uh, so I was drawn to them. And I yeah, and I was I think I've always been drawn to the military for its uh, the way that it like disciplines and gives people structure, um, and you know the the discipline to like exercise and all that stuff that if you don't get taught that at some point in your life, you just have to kind of teach yourself Yeah. or, or you just become unhe- unhealthy and sad. So, <laughs> so unhealthy and sad. Wow. <laughs> took, took a dark turn. Yeah, it really right? did. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the, the discipline thing, every time Daniel brings up this, this one thing, we tend to talk about making beds. Do you make your bed like you're still in the Navy? Not exactly. Yeah. Do you, do you make your bed at all? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would I, say that you're like already in the 90th percentile of people. I would not make my bed. I can't remember the last time I didn't make my bed. But here's how I make my bed: I take the sheet and the and the blanket and just kind of toss it generally in the correct direction. That's that's how I make. No, my I'll, bed. I'll tuck things in. Yeah, I don't tuck. Yeah, I'll tuck but, when my wife's see, around. See, my my problem is that uh, that I tend to sleep on top of the covers. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It's, it's a little little tidbit. Huh. Um. And then, uh, so by the time the morning comes, like the covers are everywhere. So you got to, there's some maintenance that needs to be done. You sleep on top just cause you... not on top of the, like on the sheet, oh, like God. I'll throw the, throw the covers back. And then in the middle of the night, I'll be freezing. So I'll pull the covers. Yeah. 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 Right. That's interesting. Nice. Yeah. It's good times. Yeah. Huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There it is. Man. A lot's out on the table. That's good. Yeah. What's yeah. the coolest place you've ever been? Like in my life? Yeah. Um, uh, Cinque Terre, mm. Italy. Yes, yeah, best place I've ever been. Why? Why is it the best? It's it's so um, yeah. So Cinque Terre is it's the five lands. That's what it means, and it's five five little towns on the northwest coast of Italy, and it's these little tiny little villages built on the sides of these real steep hills with tiny little harbors, and uh, um, yeah, there's there's probably a couple hundred people in each of these villages, and they're all little self-contained cities and uh it's like nowhere else you've ever seen i mean it's really it's yeah the people are really warm and welcoming and uh it's just it's just really cool how'd you happen across this 
family went there on a vacation. We went to uh, Florence and, uh, uh, on the way down, one of the days we we did a day trip to uh, Cinque Terre, mm. and it was a travel agent that turned us onto it, which was like we never would have known about it if it wasn't for her. And so, yeah, if you ever get a chance, if you haven't been to Cinque Terre, go to Cinque Terre. Yeah, sounds really amazing. Man, that came. You had that ready. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've thought about it. Like, what's the cool? Because I mean, there's a lot of cool places out there, but that's that's I think that's number one. Sweet. What about yeah. you, Paul. Yeah. Uh, why? Why are both of you now turning? Bam! a boy. There we go. That's what I'm talking okay. about right there. Uh, all right. Now you're training Daniel to be a pain in my ass for the rest of this podcast. Good. Good. Uh, and hopefully beyond. Oh yeah. Right. Perfect. <laughs> um, wow. I, hmm. You've, I, you've... I, I, I like Belize a lot. Yeah. A little town called San Pedro on Ambergris Cay. It's a little yeah. peninsula right off the coast there. It's actually the longest. Uh, you've been there twice, right? Oh, I've been there four times. Four times? Yeah. I have a, pro- wow. I have a problem with Belize. Uh, there's a, a barrier reef Do they have there. a casino in Belize? <laughs> they actually, I think they probably do, but I've never been to it. I, You're I, kidding. I, I love all the other things going on there that I, I, I'm not. Wow. Uh, I'm not pulled towards wow. casino. Hmm. But the Barrier Reef there actually, I think, last year took over uh, the Australian Great Barrier Reef for longest. Really? Yeah. Because the, huh. the Australian Reef is dying. Yeah. And the uh, the one off the coast of Mexico, yeah. Belize, and I, I guess Honduras there is the longest. All right. Yeah. That's kind of like a, yeah, like, congratulations, but also that sucks because the Great Barrier Reef is dying. Yeah, it's too bad. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how much uh, pride the Belizeans out, have. You're just, pointing out to the size of it. Biggest reef. Well, it's a big... there's a lot of uh, scuba diving there. You see the scuba flags up and down the right. coastline. Oh, yeah. Now, it, you got to go back there to get your chairs, right? Well, the bar. I the had the bar, chairs. The bar, yeah, yeah, yeah. The conversion of the bar. So the reason I love Belize so much is, I mean, it's relaxing like a lot of uh, coastline places are, but there are seven different ethnicities. They all get along. Huh. Uh, you you don't feel like you're ever in danger. Huh. You you walk or take a golf cart everywhere. Yeah, it, it's just like you go to a, uh, a lot of places in the Caribbean. Not all places, but some places in the Caribbean, you feel like you're stuck on the resort. Right. And if right. you leave, you have right, to go right. with a group of thirty. Right. And, and this peninsula, you can go wherever. That's and, awesome. And you, yeah, it's it's really cool. It's super relaxing <laughs> and gorgeous. It's a beautiful place. That thing you said about the casino reminded me. One of the things to say about addictions is like not not. <laughs> Not to say we just went from this beautiful Belize. He's gone really peninsula. dark. Last last two comments have been very dark. Not to say that you have an addiction, but just in general, like people who are addicted to anything, like even like the internet or something. Right. You went Instead from beautiful of, coastline yeah. in Belize to yeah. an, an addiction. In, right. right. Go ahead. Sorry. It just right. you like I, my mind hooked on that, and uh, so one of the ways to treat addiction is not to like take away to be like a, a depriving way, but right. instead find something that you know. It is better than the addiction. Yeah. Like, like crystal meth. Believes. Yeah. Right. Or I think you just went more addictive. Maybe yeah. Better. <laughs> Something that's like so fulfilling that you're like, you know what? I don't need that thing that I'm addicted to. Right. So, right. That might be it. Huh. So, Belize and, is your cure. And the best place you've yeah. been? Me? Yeah. Um, it's a guy's been uh, everywhere. Maybe more places than you and I. Have. Everywhere. Yeah. I think my favorite place I've ever been. Um, is is in the Sinai Peninsula? Really? Hmm. Yeah, I think huh. because uh, at night there's not a lot going on there in terms of like lights, right? And uh, huh. so you can really see the sky very well. That's cool. Because um, huh. it's like the desert. 
and there are mountains there. Mount Sinai is there. Yeah. Uh, and there's a small, I don't know, what's the a convent called St. Catherine's huh. uh, at the base of it? And so it's like a church, and mm. they have like relics. Apparently, they have one of the towels that they wipe Jesus's forehead with. Okay. Uh, and but that wasn't the reason I liked it. The reason I liked it was because at night you could look up <laughs> and see like the straight up Milky Way, which I haven't seen in That's years. Because cool. yeah, it's hard to see. Yeah, it here, is. There's yeah. lights everywhere. Yeah. Light pollution. Yeah. So you can see that uh, Mount Sinai itself is awesome. You get up to the top of it, and you can see um, you know both sides of the Red Sea. Like if you look, you know, cause you're right. It's like dead in the middle of the, uh, of the peninsula. So you can see the red sea on both sides. Um, and then is that the red sea? Should yeah, be. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. The one that has this thing at the top of it. Yeah. Well, hold on. I don't know what that thing is. It's the, this is the Sinai peninsula. So the, oh God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks kind of like the peace sign. I didn't, I didn't know we were looking from above down at the, at yeah, the it's the map. Got it. <laughs> it's the, and then, uh, me and my little brother woke up at like four uh, to go climb up um, and look at the sunrise from Mount Sinai, that's which was cool. banging. So yeah, that's sure. what, wow. That's All what right. I remember. All right. Very yeah. cool. And you didn't go dark on us. Must be a great place. Didn't go, oh, no, I didn't. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we thought you might. Is yeah. that you guys are beginning to expect that? Well, okay. it's, it's kind of a theme you've established yeah. in this podcast. <clears throat> so were you ever a Boy Scout, Gene? I was for not a very short period. Of time. How short? Because I, I think I can beat you on how um, short. I never made tenderfoot. I never. I went to two meetings. Okay, you probably got me beat. Yeah, Daniel uh, got his Eagle Scout. Really, you're an uh, Eagle Scout. Yes, sir. That's excellent. Four days before his uh, 18th birthday in Cairo. Really, very lot, very yeah. cool. All right. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks. That's cool. You know they like they. I think that um, what do they say? Like crazy statistics. Like five percent of people get Eagle Scouts. Of, yeah, but, but, he and I are part of the 95%. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Glad, to, just, glad yeah. to be a part of it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, it's like, to me, when they say that statistic, it's like, all these people tried so hard and then they failed. But really, it's like... <laughs> There's a lot of not trying. There are tons of people that came up, signed up for one meeting, and then turned sure. around. Right. Yeah. So, right. to well, me, it was always... But it's, it's still a big... That's a big... It's a big, it's a big deal. Absolutely. It's, a, it's the persistence, I think, which, yeah, which was like, I think, a combo of, of me and my and my mom also was like, I think every guy gets to a point where they're like, this isn't cool. Like yeah. what I'm doing with Boy Scouts, yeah. like putting on a uniform and a neckerchief and right. saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Well, the Pledge of Allegiance is pretty cool, but yeah. like the Scout yeah. Law and the Scout Oath, it's like I want to quit and I want to go and like <laughs> do sports or, or be in a band or yeah. like talk to girls more. So right. that, you know, during that time of trial, um, there was a lot of like sort of, encouragement and enforcement from my parents that yeah. was like hey this is worth it you know yeah. you're gonna you're gonna be glad you did it and i am yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah of course i don't think i've ever met a scumbag eagle scout never never in my life nope not even close yeah so that's good should be proud all right i'll try not to break that illusion <laughs> yeah i remember I, I had a kid uh in one of my army guard units who was an eagle scout and I didn't realize he, he was a super humble kid and he was probably the best soldier i had in that hmm. particular unit and uh, I just remember thinking, man, every Eagle Scout I've ever met is like, until Daniel was the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man. Daniel's mom and uh, girlfriend will not like that comment. Probably not. Yeah. So, but, but you should leave it in. Daniel. When you first met Paul, were you like, well, I guess you were working for Gene. We were uh, peers for yeah. a while. You were peers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What did you think of Paul when you first met him? <laughs> 
I don't actually remember. Yeah, like, I don't. I don't either. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it sort of all blends together. You don't even remember like an impression you had or anything like that. You just. He's probably thinking that's a pretty big guy. Yeah. You know? Okay. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. And it, and like most people, people assume the bigger you are, the dumber you are. So he probably had that <laughs> in his head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I was just. Go ahead. Tell tell him your first impression of me. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, it was just uh, he came in and like was pretty gregarious, and I was like, yes, okay, yes, it's not and, the word uh, you used when you describe that. What did I? What word did I? I think I you use? said I was bombastic. Bombastic. <laughs> That's another word. Wow. All right. Just sort of like I'm here and I'm the show. What's up? And I was like, right. okay. And uh, right. this is me and a bunch of technology people. Sure, sure. We were talking about tech stuff. Yeah. And, uh, Right, and then mm. Paul was like, uh, he walked in. I, they put you on that project for some reason or another, because right. uh, I was the tallest person. Right, that's, that must have been it. Right, <clears throat> they're like, this guy can handle it, and so yeah, Paul just came in and was like, "What's up, everybody?" Like, and but in a way that was like, "I'm going to dominate the conversation." I was like, "Oh, this guy's kind of a jerk." So <laughs> it's not just, what was I, in my head. I at continued all. to be like, "That I I don't like that guy. He's just you right. know, he's a jerk, crowding everybody out." Right, and then. Uh, I was hanging out with Art, and then Art was like, oh, you know, Paul's not that bad. So then... <laughs> should give him a try. Right. So, and, right. and here we there sit. Here it is. Here it is. podcast. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. It's good Six times. months later. Hmm. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember the first time we ran into each other. I remember you were really good when I came back from overseas. I remember that. And that was uh, a bit of a, an adjustment for me, and you helped me through that. Yeah, I remember you had, that. You had experienced a couple times yourself. I, I experienced a lot less than you did. But well, yeah, but you you had I understood. Yeah, 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 and that's a weird thing. It's really weird, unanticipated. Yeah, I, I had no idea that was coming. So we knew of each other. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Then I, I think I wasn't working in the same group you were. I just knew, no, that's right. I knew you were a veteran. I yeah, like, you were in recoveries. I think at probably that time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good times. What did you guys take from uh, being in the mill? What's like one thing that you took from um, being in the navy that has you think transformed or given you success in your in your corporate uh, career? It's another deep question. Yeah, really Daniel. Is. Wow. Golly. He prepared that one. Mm-hmm. Um, that felt prepared. Dang, I got to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I think it's. I mean, there's there's a ton of things. So I'll I'll, I'll go the first thing that comes to mind. Um, some of the most um, inspirational people I've ever met are people that have worked for me in the military. So, and, and it goes in civilian life too. So, um, yeah, you don't have to look real far to find somebody that you look at and like that person is more impressive than I am. And it's, you know, it's, it's in, in civilian life, it's, it's, you know, the single mom working in the call center who is bettering herself to, to, you know, working her way through college while she's raising her kid and is truly dedicated to both things and is a great, you know, great person, great, great employee. And you look at people like that and you're like, man, I'm, I am humbled to be working with that person. Um, yeah. in the military, the way it typically rolls, at least I've seen it is, you know, you got the, you got the petty officer who is, you know, doesn't get paid a whole heck of a lot, but every time the squadron goes somewhere, that guy gets tapped on the shoulder because you know he will do anything in his power to make sure everything goes exactly right. He's you know smart, works real hard, and you're like you know if, if who am I to not do my best when somebody like that is working for me? Uh, 
So, you know, you, you never have to look real far in my experience to find somebody that's like that. And, you know, it, it keeps you kind of grounded and humble in your job. Mm. That's a, a great question and a great answer. And it's a, probably it's a good time to break. Are we going to edit out my wife doing the uh, no, yelling down? No. Like, <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. All right, cool. Well, we hope you had a good time. That was Gene. great. Thank you very much. Yeah, appreciate you coming over. Yeah, once right. again, it was awesome to be here in the palatial Gilman estate. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, right. In my home county, it's uh, registered as a palace. Right. Yeah. I'm sure it is. Yeah. It's good right. times. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Thanks, man. Thank you, fellas. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. All righty. You're going to keep recording, aren't you? No, I'll stop. <laughs> I think I, I have to check him. Every it amuses time. Paul so much. That he's like, you're still recording. It, it really does. It really does. <laughs> Did you enjoy that? Oh.